George, I was on your team, mate. I was all alongside you, but now I have to acknowledge that, no, that, you know, heartless killing of characters I care about is, in fact, your jam. If you're looking for good treatment of characters, you've come to the wrong place. Ramsey is the very living embodiment of the idea of an unreliable narrator. I wish him all the luck in the universe trying to make Stannis fucking Baratheon, or indeed Mance Raider, into his bitch boy. I don't think that's going to fly. Hello there. Welcome to part 14. Ooh. Part 14 of <laughs> Shark Liver Oil's colossal read-through of A Dance With Dragons, the doorstop that is A Dance With Dragons. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Dave, the summit is in sight. Yeah, can you, can you tell I'm demob happy? I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm light-headed with the, the air at this rarefied altitude. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe it. We're nearly the, finished. The summit is in sight, but I suppose there are two books that are still to come after this. So it's sort of like, the summit's in sight, but when we get to it, we're going to see another summit a little bit further away. Well, let's not worry about that for now. Do, do me a favour and don't ever go into work as a, like a mountain leader guide person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on. Sense of achievement. Here we go. Look, put years into this. Come on, let's go. Go, go. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, it's not the highest in the world, and there'll be two higher after this that'll be just as, <laughs> just as uh, long to go through, and you're going to have to do them all. What? What? You break it down into bite-sized chunks, much as we have been doing throughout this series. Indeed. So this is, uh, as we say, our final... Um, well, our final part of the book, we're going to do a sort of a wrap-up cast on on uh, Dance with Dragons and actually on A Song of Ice and Fire to this point as a whole as well. Um, actually, about that, if you want to get any general thoughts into us about the book as a whole or any of your own theories or any good theories that you've come across about where the books are going to go in the future, uh, now is the time to send them in. It's um, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or we're on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Dave, in particular, has been looking forward to the point where he can openly <laughs> discuss spoilers and actually find stuff out because you've been, you've been studiously keeping away from sort of these kind of theories for so far. I have, I have. I, I will confess that uh, in an, unguided, an unguarded moment, um, I did hear about the R plus L equals J theory. Mm. Um, but um, w- 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 I mean, which which I think itself is thrown into a certain kind of relief by the final chapter here. But I will, mm. which we'll yeah. get to. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. a wiki of ice and fire. I hear is a fascinating place to go and read things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're, going, <laughs> so we're going to have a uh, super spoiler heavy discussion next week. So this week, obviously, as we have been doing throughout, we um, we're very careful not to. I'm very careful not to go beyond sort yeah. of what what we Ma- see from the books, and obviously, Dave, <laughs> you don't know anyway. So it's, it's I know nothing. I know nothing, Matt. Um, but uh, I, I quite like the fact that Matt's bunker full of spoilers, which used to sort of hulk in my imagination as this terrifying, ter- enormous kind of monolithic thing full of all these spoiled storylines, is now kind of cracked and broken and open yeah. to the wind and sort of quite it's quite melancholy isn't it max bunker full of spoilers after today has no power 
Yeah, it's like one of those old, no, one of those old sort of World War Two bunkers that you get in the sort of in the British countryside, which is just some like concrete ruin now, where with the sort of yeah, the, there's no door anymore, a few <laughs> gaps. Uh, uh, when you finally do get in it, Dave, I hope we're going to find more than you know just a, a couple of crushed cans of special brew and a used condom, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that also, Matt. <laughs> uh, right okay enough of all this let's actually get through it then i think we're we're procrastinating a bit because you know there's there's a melancholic twinge to this as we finally get through what has been years of reading through this series <laughs> uh, and speaking of melancholy let's get up to the wall let's <laughs> strap yourself in because george goes into a frenzy of killing off here doesn't he towards the end so um yeah yeah this whole time i have been dissing the tv series i don't know if you've caught this but he's been mostly on twitter um where i've been uh, voicing my extraordinary like i've actually developed quite a lot of impatience for the tv series in the way that they i think they certainly in season five they were just killing people because that had become their gimmick rather Mm. than because it was supposed to serve the story or help you feel any depth of the characters to the point where if somebody comes on screen and i like them they're going to die making the ongoing survival of barristan selmy to this point a complete fucking miracle as we've said and i'm fully on board that train now i wanted to become the king (laughs) fuck it i'm on board the barristan train now (laughs) <laughs> but that does mean that like uh, yeah you know I, I've, I've developed a certain amount of frustration and then George goes and does this at the end of the novel and I'm like oh bollocks George yeah. I, I was on your team mate I was on book book versus show I was all <laughs> alongside you but now now I yeah. have to acknowledge that no that you know <laughs> heartless yeah. killing of characters I care about is in fact <laughs> your jam and I just have to go along with that yeah if you're looking for a good treatment of characters, <laughs> you've come to the wrong place. Yes! This 12-month-old <laughs> references, ladies and gentlemen. That's the way right. we roll, because we've been on this train since... Well, not since the beginning, Forever. in the slightest, but for quite a long time. Uh, so, okay, so John up at the wall. Um, this, as we will refer to as the hard-home problem, um, to <laughs> take it lightly. Um, so they've got this issue where... Obviously, Cotter Pike and this fleet have gone up to try and save a few wildlings um, because of this massive um, group of of wildlings who are congregating around this place called Hardhome. And it looks like they've they've struggled to get any of them on the boats. It's all going wrong over there. So John is now planning to to lead a group overland um, up beyond the wall to Hardhome to help. Um, Queen Cels is... uh, isn't is less than impressed with this. She, her response is "Let them die." So, you know, she's she's not go. really got alongside the sort of you know she hasn't learned the lessons of Princess Diana, has she? Of you know how to how to work your PR to get people on board. Her whole approach mm. is: Are they commoners? Then they're scum. Let them let them die. And if they burn, so much the better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's this actually broader stuff over with uh, the Queen and with the sort of the Stannis side of the, the garrison here. They're trying mm. to put a king of the wildlings forward because they've traced back through a couple of possible bloodlines. Yeah. And uh, they're also planning to marry Val to um, to someone in the south as well. Is it and Sir Axel just... Florent? Has he got his wish or is it somebody else? I, I don't think it is. I thought it was, I think it was someone else. But it's, it's funny because this kind of stuff is um, just, again, just showing how the South, in terms of Stannis, Team Stannis, 
don't understand <laughs> the culture of these of, of the not the, yeah. the wildlings don't follow things like bloodlines and yeah. um you know you can't just marry off yeah. someone like val without there being consequences yeah 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 and i, I one of the reasons why i mean i think i was always I was always going to like the North as they were depicted in this, but hmm. um, one of the reasons why I do quite like that is that there is actually, for all that the North is known for being, you know, hard and, you know, in many senses merciless and certainly chaotic and violent, um, there is at least not the kind of faux civilized thing which I think the kind of King's argument carries in this book and in the real world, where hmm. it's like, um, well, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son, and that's why. And it's like, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, yeah. you might get it because of who you were born to, but that doesn't mean anything. There's no, you know, transcendent moral law that says you have a right to rule at all. Um, yeah. And I like that the, the watch kind of have that, the, the, the North, and therefore the watch, I suppose, have it kind of coded into them. I really mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, now the uh, this plan. Okay, so Melisandre is uh, is um, warning against going north as well, um, saying it's it's not going to work. And John's at the stage now where, after a couple of her predictions, like the uh, Arya Stark's on the way to the Wall and Mance Raider's going to bring her back, um, <laughs> having yeah. come to pass, he's basically saying, "No, you know what." I don't really believe any of this stuff anyway. I'm not sure oh, you really know what you're doing. It was so. fantastic, wasn't it, seeing that? Just the just the litany he was able to reel off yeah. of, do you know what? This, 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 where the fuck are they? Just, so this plan to go to Hardhome, Overland, two things here. Um, one, in light of what happened in the series, were you at this point thinking, oh yeah, he's on the way? Or did you always <laughs> think, this, is, this isn't going to happen? Um... I actually, truth be told, I think I was expecting what happens in the series to happen in the in the epilogue. Mm. I was expecting there to be some sort of because the in the epilogue someone always dies, right? That's his thing. <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah. Prologues and epilogues are there for characters to be introduced and die, so it would be a bit of a step outside for it to be a, a character we already know who dies, mm. but um, uh, you know, not not too egregious, I don't think. Because so, I was thinking, yeah, there's going to be this whole scene at Hardhome. And I, what I find amazing is that the TV series did the battle at Hardhome. The TV series mm. where it costs you a fortune to do a battle scene, particularly mm. with all, all manner of CGI, you know, horrible zombie monster things, zombies type one, as we must mm. call them. Um, you know, all of that. It must cost them an absolute mint. You know, it was a real sort of, you know, um, centerpiece of the series last time. Yeah. And he doesn't bother doing it in the book. Mm. And it's like, George, all you had to do was write it, you know. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, I suppose, you know, the, 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 the outcome is the same, you know, it's all mm. fucked. Mm. Um, but um, in the TV series, you've got that magnificent thing where the sort of zo- zombie type one king, whatever he's called, stands on the dock at Hardhome having just won the battle and just gives it the full on, you know, <laughs> Arms out, palms upwards, <laughs> shrugging. I saw it as a meme once, and it just said, "Come at me, crow." I just, just, just yeah. brilliant setup for that whole like the drama of the world of men against the world of whites. Um, yeah. Admittedly, somewhat undercut by the fact that you know this this thing happens here. Is, mm. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that we're on the podcast where we talk about what happens, and we're still sort of in a state of mourning where we don't want to 
name it. We don't want to say yeah. what it's it is coming. we're referring to. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> oh, I'll yeah. prepare myself. I've got I've got my got my you know my teddy bear here to offer uh, offer emotional solace. So yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting with how yeah the show did go there to Hard Home and, and we didn't see it and we didn't read it in the book. Um, it's probably two things. What from the book's point of view, and it's getting harder to make this point considering how many more. Um, POV characters he's brought in in this book alone but there was always a case in in the past books where uh, sort of the problem he had with showing some battles was the fact that you didn't have a established POV character to use to show it Um, and if John isn't there then you gotta you gotta sort of go through the eyes of Cotter Pike or someone else we don't know, and it's yet another character we we yeah, don't know who's I, introduced. That hasn't that hasn't visibly bothered him before, though, has no, it? How many new true. characters? Thirty two, I think, was the official count for this book, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, although I do think with those, it comes down quite a lot once you realise that a lot of these new characters are the same characters just with different names as we've seen with Arya who's like eight well, different characters I mean, I mean that's fair enough that is true but he did also you know he's pressed go in a fairly big way particularly to uh, to do this thing which I, I understand he described as the um, uh, the the knot of marine where he had to work mm-hmm. out some way of telling this whole story about all these people who turned up chasing chasing Daenerys and not mm-hmm. finding her Um uh, he had to kind of do that. And to do that, he definitely just started going, right, well, now I'm going to write from Quentin's perspective. Right, now mm. I'm going to write from Quentin's mate's perspective. Now I'm going mm. to write from, you know, all of that. And then Barristan, of course. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's been well, terribly yeah. shy about that. I don't think it's too That's difficult true. for him to go, you know, all right, Cotter Pike's here now. Yeah. The, the other thing is, I think probably because from the series point of view, they probably thought, uh, a obviously they want a nice big action set piece for episode eight or nine like they always do, but also they kind of noped out of this at the uh, battle at the fist of the first men, where <laughs> they just sort sorry, of sorry I love that they just noped out of it. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> they did. Nope. They sort of cut to black at the end of one season and it was over at the start of the next. That's so that's true. Yeah. At some point, you need something that shows that these White Walkers are, you know, in terms of an army. Uh, battle sense are a serious problem, serious threat and yeah. I suppose it, there's probably just a point where it's about time we actually properly introduce these guys. Maybe, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll get something like that in the next book, we don't know. But for no, now... Do not. No. Um, so Ghost is all agitated and this is our first... <laughs> this like, bodes you, well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We've seen this before. I mean, this is a clear echo of sort of pre-Redwedding isn't it? Where, oh, uh, so Rob Steyerwolf was kicking off. Um, to the point so, where you sort of you sort of want the lesson to be learned from it, don't you? Where it's like, I realise that you want to keep them polite, but if your if your direwolf starts attacking people, actually, probably just let it go. Just let mm. just let it let let the wolf go at it, mm. and 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 then we'll be fine. Mm. The uh, he, he has the uh, sort of his key men, his key commanders in with him. So you know the the chief builder and uh, Bowen Marsh, the head steward, and all, all these guys. To sit and talk through his latest his latest plan that pisses them off. So the garrisoning the um, wildlings has obviously been massively unpopular. This this plan to go to hard home is even more unpopular. I think it's yeah. quite interesting. I, I always come at this from the point of view of oh these prejudiced north northmen who uh, these prejudiced you know knights watchmen who won't see the benefits that the wildlings can bring and all this. But there is a bit from the head builder here who says look. 
these wildling guys, they, they won't work and they're just sort of <laughs> sitting around and they won't listen and take orders and stuff. And it, you know what? From what we know of the wildlings, that is probably true. That's completely and true, isn't it? So yeah. it's kind of like th- there is a practical element here where they say, look, this this isn't, it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> and John's like, oh, just stop being so, stop being so prejudiced. It's kind of yeah, like- yeah, it's very true, isn't it? it? At this point, John, you know, for all his kind of hard headedness in other areas, in this particular case, really does come off as the sort of well-meaning lefty, very, very removed from events kind of senior manager. It's like, I'm sure if you get alongside them, they'll be terribly good chaps. And it's like, while that may be the case in Potentia, in actuality, he just tried to stab me twice. So what what do you want from me here? You know, um, but but I actually think there's an interesting thing here, like that this hasn't, that we haven't, maybe we haven't touched on very much, is that whole thing about like... um, civilization versus kind of um something that almost civilization in like in you know the westerosi way of doing things which is we organize ourselves and you kneel you know which is the thing that the the wildlings mock him for but in doing so you become part of this structure which actually enables you to do these big complicated things like castles and wars and admittedly Mm. massive systemic corruption and ending up with a dickhead like joffrey on the throne and all of that you know like you know but civilization is is what it is whereas the wildlings have a a far more fundamentally honest and straightforward and in that sense admirable way of doing things you know women are not in any sense devalued you know Mm. that it's just a really hard system for everybody um uh but that does mean that when you say right lads if we work together here we can put up a castle they just go well, why the fuck would we work together? What, mm. who, do, who do you think I am? Some sort of, you know, some sort of softy. Um, mm. And it's a really interesting sort of parallel there, um, I think, between the sort of, you know, the Roman Empire, which is an empire and which is built completely on the structure exists. And it, as long as you don't question the structure, the structure will serve you. And as they met the the, the, the ancient Britons, where there were 100,000 ancient Britons, a particular battle and 10,000 Romans and they took them absolutely to the cleaners because they were actually organized. Mm. Um, whereas, uh, but the Britons, you know, you know, far more, perhaps far more earthy. So I just thought it was a really interesting thing. Like it's not so much a clash of civilizations as a clash of civilization and uh, informal like tribes, I suppose, if you like, or, you know, kind of the thing based on family and personal interaction and respect. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, I think that the problem that John's had, um, and it's, it builds to a climax here, is this: the fact that, quite rightly, he knows that they need to work together to survive, but it's getting everyone else to understand that. And I suppose yeah. it's very hard to do without them seeing what he's seen um, yeah. with the, the threat. I mean, you think someone like... I suppose that anyone who was involved in the actual battle up at the fist would know that. And yeah. anyone who's been involved in hard home, but so few of the Night's Watch who had left yeah. and the um, the wildlings who've survived have yeah. experienced any of that. There's only really John and a couple of others who've experienced both, yeah. Yeah. Um, which makes it very difficult. Um, he, he also makes a sort of thinks about this about how the guys who are his sort of like commanders there, like Bowen Marsh and Othel Yarwick, aren't aren't the best. You know, he, he thinks how he laments how the best guys have died. Like. Yeah. Corin Halfhand and the old bear and Donald yeah. Noy. Um, it's funny, you get this in a lot of, um, especially like wars that go on for a few years and uh, the big one, I mean, the most recent examples like the First and Second World War, you get this from a lot of soldiers and um, commanders even from the times where they say, 
the you know the best people and the bravest people often are the guys who die first because they you know are doing the most dangerous things so you're left with n- not only does war damage you because you lose a lot of people but often you lose your, a lot of your best and bravest as well yeah yeah absolutely um so we then move on good news after good news um to the the what's become known as the pink letter which is this letter that comes from Ramsey Snow. Um, Sorry. And, yeah. I do love that it's got such a rubbish name. <laughs> yeah. So um, Ramsey writes to John um, in not the most friendly of ways to say that... Uh, <laughs> what? In the same way as Hitler invaded Czechoslovakia in not the most polite of manners. Yeah. So um, Stannis, he says, Stannis is dead. His army's his army's been smashed, um, just like that. By the way, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mance is also, uh, I think, he's either a prisoner. I think he's a prisoner, and um, the six women who are with him are also dead. Um, and he demands give up the people that you're hiding. Who yeah. he's basically blaming John for the disappearance of uh, Ramsay and Sa- and who he believes is or who he says is Sansa, um, yeah. along with. Uh, Queen Cels and uh, Shireen. He wants all of those now, and he says, yeah. "Give give them up, or I'm coming to get them. And yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm gonna take them by force." Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm got a minute. What's his name? Big chap. Ram- uh, the uh, you know uh, giant slayer. What's he called? Not not giant. Tormund. Slayer. Tormund, yeah. So, um, so many names. So Tormund um, isn't convinced by this letter. He says, "You know, this could be rubbish." He could yeah. be lying, but there are a few things in it that suggest that Stanit that uh, Ramsay at least knows more than it would be sort of good news for him to know. Like uh, he knows about Mance and these women. Yeah. So, what was your take on it? Do you think this is it now? Do you think this is one of those off-screen battles that seems to have happened and <laughs> we've lost it? Well, since it was this in the TV series as well, then yeah. Mm. And I was again, I was really surprised that this is a place where the book doesn't do well the the tv series didn't do the battle either but for me that was the most transparent like you were saying about the fist the fist of the first men that's the most transparent look lads i'm sorry we don't have 10 million dollars to put into this scene so cut Mm. past it sort of thing um scene and then in the book he also doesn't bother with it did he just run out of time did he not (laughs) want to do is he like oh battles are overrated it's like that thing in um Formula One car racing, sort of fifteen years ago or so, where somebody said that overtaking made 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 uh, races dull. I'm like, no, mate, that's what we watch it for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without that, you're just watching cars going round. Like, you yeah. just you just watch your road outside. Yeah, <laughs> so you're just watching a particular, a, a stunningly unsafe example of road management. Not yeah. interesting. In much the same way, if you don't show Stannis getting killed, a character who I have followed at exhaustive length across mm. this entire book, and you mm. don't show him getting killed, that is very unsatisfying. Yeah, well, I think this is the point in the book. I think we're not supposed to... I think this is supposed to be ambiguous. And it's one of those things where he, he often makes these... Uh, we often get this, where you sort of... You're in characters' heads and you're relying on shaky news that's travelled over a long distance because there's no way of it's very hard to know what's going on elsewhere in the in the kingdom and i i still even at the end of this book and even knowing what i know from the series hold out because sometimes the series zigs where the book zags you know yeah yeah um there could be something else to this and you know ramsey we've known in the past hasn't been 
um, he, he's he's always a bit economical with the truth, you know. So he yeah. will say whatever he wants to get the upper hand. So I'm I'm still hoping that this may there may be more to this than, than Ramsey's version of events. But well, I mean, obviously, you know, Ramsey is the very living embodiment of the idea of an unreliable narrator. So mm. yeah, you don't really want to take his word for it. But at the same time, this happened in the TV series, and they showed it, mm. um, which makes me kind of. Mm, you know, I think even if he isn't, even if he isn't dead in the book, he's going to die pretty quickly. But then, you know, maybe I get a scene. Well, I mean, I mean, like we say, we said that about Sebastian, and he's still he's still going That's strong in the book. Very, um, very true. A long time after he was killed off in the series. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, that's true. And I've, I've no far from having any objection to that. I like Barristan. Um So uh, yeah, it's cool. And also, I mean, remember that he. Um, it's generally known that Reek is Theon. But I think he pulled this with Theon as well, didn't he, Ramsay? He was like, I've captured him, he's dead. Yeah. Instead yeah. of, I've captured him and I'm turning into him into my psychological plaything. Yeah. Mind you, I wish him all the luck in the universe trying to make Stannis fucking Baratheon. Or indeed, <laughs> uh, Mance Raider into his bitch boy. I don't think that's going to fly. <laughs> Yeah, that would be. I, I certainly hope we don't get five chapters of him trying to do that. In the next oh, month. ye we'll gods, see. Matt! Can you imagine? <laughs> Bloody hell! Oh. <laughs> anyway, so so the next part of this uh, chapter is we go to the Shield Hall, um, which is the. Uh, uh, this is quite a nice setting because it's um, so it's this gra- it's grand old hall that's gone to decay that mm. used to be just the yeah. area for 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 the sort of. For the for the lords who joined the Night's Watch, and they used to put all the shields up there when they joined. And yeah. these days, there are just like two or three shields up there, and everyone just uses it because there's no point. Just yeah. again, it's another example of the sort of the, de- the decay of the Night's Watch, if you like. Yeah, and a great piece of scene setting. It was really evocative. Just I just love all of this stuff. That sort of fake history stuff. Great. Yeah, and so I mean, this is a, an example of great sort of crowd management from john but also again um another sort of bit really lays deeper problems for himself which now boil over so he mm. gets up and says basically to this this group of it looks like it's almost more wildlings than night's watch in this hall now mm. and the plans change now torment on his own is going up to hard home with a load of wildlings to save the uh the people stuck up there and john is going to take pretty much a wildling army and march south to to fight Ramsay Bolton. Um, and, and it's on, it's on, and I'll level with you, Matt, this was the time when I started to believe. This was where I was like, well, he's kept him alive, hasn't he? All this way, hard home, march south. There are two battles that he could go to here. Basically, whatever happens here, whichever way he goes, I win, I thought. Because, Matt, I am a mug and a fool, and anybody's for the taking if you offer me the prospect of an interesting battle scene. Yeah, so it's on until it's off a few pages later. <laughs> Fucking I mean, instantly. Instantly yeah, as well. Yeah, but I, I could... But the, thing, the, the great thing about this is I could completely understand why he's killed at the end of this now, because yeah. it, we've had yes. chapter after chapter of him pissing everyone off at the Night's Watch... And this, I mean, it couldn't be more calculated to tip them over the edge to say, right, you know, these wildlings who you despise and you didn't really want south of the wall and you yeah. worried about their loyalties and you started to question my loyalties. Well, look, I'm going to just basically go the head of this army now and I'm off south to take 
<laughs> to take some lands. Yeah. You'd be thinking, well, that is the final proof, final evidence that yeah. John is, is not what he says he is. And all he's thinking about is getting himself his own army to go yeah. and take over some territory. So why wouldn't yeah. you stop him? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I actually think this was far more this was far far better because there is this there is this suggestion that he's massively misjudged things in sending off Mance Raider you know mm. you know in secret from everybody sending him off to go and do something which is essentially completely unrelated to the night's watch you know I will take I will father no children I will take no wife I will all of this and here he is you know sending I mean terrorists basically is what it looks like on a secret covert mission to go and rescue his his sister, who he's supposed to have completely renounced. Um, you know, like, actually, John's judgment in this is far weaker than it is in in the series, where in the series, the whole, you know, maybe Sansa's at Winterfell thing. Um, actually, Sansa is really at Winterfell in, in the series, isn't she? Um, but Mance Raider isn't sent there. And um, uh, it's all very much like it's just... It's far more one-dimensional in the TV series because basically what it is is Alistair Thorne turns up and goes, I've hated you since the first day. I clapped eyes on you, little bastard. I'm going to stab <laughs> you in the face and just does it. And it's just like, oh, yeah, because that's what Alistair Thorne does. He's been building up to that for five series. Whereas, in, yeah. whereas here, Alistair Thorne's not even in the room. And yeah. it's like it's, he's lost, John has lost the whole watch and has done so through his own fault. And that's richer. That's far yeah. richer storytelling than just, I hate you and I'm going to stab you in the fucking nuts. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and not for nothing, pretty much everybody who who is the, his closest allies, like Gren and Pip, who are still alive in the book, again, still alive in the books, but dead in the series. Yeah. And, um, and of course, the guy, what was it, Iron Emmett, the other guy who was particularly loyal, they've all been sent off. So he's just left with these guys who were sort of in two minds anyway. So the, the, the way... Stupid move. Yeah, so the way it goes down in, in the book here, so uh, there's this commotion outside where a man's attacked the giant, uh, one one for some reason. We don't really yeah. see why, but he ends yeah. up with a, this it's this guy called Sir Patrick. He en- ends up killed by the giant, and it looks like it's about to kick off with them, like all the men attacking the giant. And then suddenly there are knives in the dark, and, and John, yeah. is, John is basically stabbed, like you say, by his own men. Um, yeah. And Bowen Marsh says, as he's, as, he's, as he's killing him, actually in tears, uh, this guy, yeah. Bowen, he says yeah. for the watch and stabs him. And yeah. I think that is the sort of, it's it's the, the softer version of what we get at the very end of the book. The sort of, it's nothing personal, it's just something we feel we need to do, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, in the, um, in the series, it felt very personal. It felt like, yeah. almost like it's... Some of these people just don't like John, and they're killing him because they've got the just opportunity. Just because now. killing him, yeah, which mm. is a viciousness, which is too one note for the TV series as well. Mm. Sorry, I know we're talking about the book, but I yeah. just that 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 maliciousness is just spread throughout the TV series like fucking too thick marmite on your toast. It's mm. one flavor, and it's everywhere. Rather mm. than in the book, it's like, well, actually, this proceeds from complex and realistic characters who've made decisions which are you know, um, are understandable and opposing at the same time. You know, they're not helping each other, they're hurting each other, but this is the way it is. Hmm. Far, far, far more compelling um, than the TV series, which is just, as I say, is just for the sort of fight for the sake of a fight is what I felt like it was. But Yeah. Um, the, sorry. The, there was an internet meme that um, <laughs> that, ru- that ruined the, uh, the, the end of this, uh, the series version. This scene, yeah. I can't watch without, like, laughing now. Yeah. And it's because... Um, 
<laughs> I'll ruin it for you as well now. No, so thanks, the, um, thanks. Appreciate the, that. If you don't want it, if if you don't want to find yourself laughing at this scene in the future, then maybe cycle forward about sixty seconds or so. But, um, <laughs> so, so basically, this this series. So it was last year, wasn't it? And yeah. this episode came out pretty much when the um, Apple Watch was launched. <laughs> so so there, there was this poster, like a fake Apple poster. With yeah. a picture of, um, because they're all safe for the watch when they're stabbing him. Yeah. So there's this picture of the young lad in the series on it um, with like an eye watch superimposed over his wrist. And the tagline is, men will do anything for the watch. It's like the <laughs> Apple Watch. It's as if they've all stabbed him to get a free watch. That's amazing. <laughs> for the watch. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll relieve you of that because that gag was done either before that me or after it by um, Charlie Brooker on the on the yearly wipe at the end of 2015. <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was. He did that joke, and um, and so I watched that and laughed my ass off, and that's that's me. It's been ruined again. But quite frankly, I have no intention of ever again in my life watching season five of the Game of Thrones TV series. <laughs> you really it, didn't like it. Did it you? really <laughs> angered me towards the end. I'm going back. Season six yeah. is on deck, and I'm keen because it's going to show me more of these characters that I can't see yeah. in the books. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was angry. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I tell you what, I actually quite liked about this is that, and to a certain extent, I was kind of, I was spoiled by the TV, TV series. I mean, obviously in terms of what happens. But like I said, he got me on board, and he ran outside, and then there's this beating, and I'm like, I'm kind of nervous, and I'm kind of having to force myself to read every word instead of skipping forward yeah. and um which is a horrible habit i have when i'm reading and yeah. um when this thing kicked off with one one i was like bloody hell this is a third thing happening here that i wasn't expecting and mm. there's only a couple of pages left and he's definitely not going to die but of course what george is doing there is pulling the carpet out from under your feet feet in like in vicious fashion and really I mean viciously impressive like really amazing storytelling there because yeah. what he's doing is just being like you know oh this is happening is this happening is this happening nope he's dead done yeah and you know that is obviously a big theme of George's and I think as I said I think it's been overdone in the TV series but as, as a piece of writing it's magnificent what is it a hundred words hmm. from John's storyline just barreling forward like a, a freight train to you know the, the trains off the tracks and it's tangled metal and you know, yeah. it's all it's all just finished, like, boom, done. You know, yeah. for all that I was sad that it happened, what an execution! Fucking hell. <laughs> so, so we'll have um, we'll, we'll talk more about John's death as well next week in our um, in our spoiler podcast yeah. um, about the ramifications around um, around that, the death of John. But obviously, it's a again, it's a, this is a. We just put this on a, a similar level to sort of. Red Wedding style character loss. I mean, in terms of shock, maybe not quite the same punch, but in terms um, of an important character, definitely. Either. I mean, well, uh, I mean, God. quite apart from anything else, I do rather wonder how they're going to in a song of ice and fire. Now that he's killed his camera in the middle of the ice, who we're <laughs> going to get to tell the story to us next time? To be perfectly That's honest. true. But That's a good point. Yeah. As we've yeah. seen, George is perfectly capable of leaving a character's storyline for a book and a half before coming back to it. So maybe I'll find out what's happening in the wall sometime shortly before I retire. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but um, I, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, mm. uh, I, I hope. I mean, I hope against hope, obviously, that he's not dead. But I hope that with Rob, and I hope that with Ned. You know, he is in the habit of killing people that you care about, yeah. um, and um, and he knows the impact of a death that sticks, even though he does so fucking many deaths that don't stick. 
mm. and so so many resurrection jobs. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm all of that to say um, it's powerful and it's shocking and it's like being drenched in freezing cold water. Um, uh, but you know, who can say? Mm. Um, you know, who can know? Let's uh, move on to the Queen. So let's turn let's turn the heat up. Let's get over to Marine. Yeah. Um, let's get away from the cold wall to the to the to the heat of Marine for the final time with uh, the Queen's hand. And you know who the Queen's hand is these days. Is it? I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about time for a. I almost feel like giving a round of applause for Barristan whenever he turns up these days. Oh, he's great, still isn't kicking. It? What the hell is he doing? Still alive. <laughs> He cannot be killed. I know. You almost imagine, almost imagine, like as they were, as the guys who made the TV series, like as they were reading it, just doing that classic supervillain thing of when they think they put down the hero twice. Just why won't you just die? <laughs> He's like Robespierre, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or um, um, uh, what was the mental Rasputin? Oh, Rasputin. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Get actually, that, actually, actually, that's what I meant. <laughs> my knowledge Ross only, only died yeah. once but I, I know there was some trouble but um but i think uh uh rasputin stabbed shot poisoned dropped in a frozen river and was still alive yeah, like, yeah. yes but rasputin obviously was a complete knob cheese whereas barristan's a great bloke yeah so sir rasputin barristan sell me <laughs> Rasputin sell me, as Rasputin now apparently we must Selmy. call him. <laughs> so he, um, uh, yeah, so he's still alive, and he is uh, in in Marine, and he is so looking at the body of someone who very much is not still alive, and this is poor Quentin. He's uh, he's died. It's take. I tell you what, it's a bloody dreadful death. It's, it's taken him three days to die from his. Oh, these burns, yeah, um, and now the dragons are loose across the city as well. I, yeah. Just taking a moment to say, it's such a sad end, really, to a, a guy who, you know, he's just a nice bloke, wasn't he? And there you go, gone, yeah, gone, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so the is the queen's hand ruling marine now. Um, it looks like the harpies have started back on the prowl again. Thirty more people have died, so these these sort of killings in the city have, have started up. They, the Harpies want Hisdar free because he's been arrested on suspicion of being uh, the son of the Harpy, the head of them. <laughs> so um, the, 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 I'd imagine the one way making absolutely sure that he's found guilty of uh, of being the head of them would be hmm. to go on a murderous rampage to try and get him free. But, you know, the Harpies have got their yeah. own agenda here. I suppose. <laughs> They've got their own playbook. Yeah. Um, he sent the Green Grace over to, to sort of speak to the Yunkai. Because yeah. he's still got this massive army outside the city, and Barristan wants to find some way of brokering a peace, but it's yeah. looking unlikely. Especially because he won't—he still won't kill these hostages, and the shave pate's really pissed off that he won't do that. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. I quite like how Barristan's created a small council. Um, he's yeah. just sort of trying to bring a bit of King's Landing over here now. So now that Daenerys because is King's Landing here. has worked so well for everybody who's been involved <laughs> in it in the past. Yeah, but I suppose it's the only way he knows to rule, isn't it? Is oh, totally. I mean, you know, you would do the same, wouldn't you? If you, if you, I mean, God forbid, if I ended up in a position where somebody was asking me to create a system of government for them, you know, yeah. I'd draw on the things I, I recognise the best. Yeah. Um, 
and part of the small council, it turns out, is strong Belworth. So I don't think he's going to bring much to the party in terms of uh, cerebral engagement. But he's <laughs> he's turned up. But, he, but you want him in the room, don't you? If he's if he's your yeah. boy, you want him yeah. in the room because he should be frightening. Although apparently less so at this point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Barrison's just happy to see him still alive after the poisoning that he had from those locusts. But uh, as you say, yeah, he's quite diminished now. He's uh, lost a lot of his sort of a lot of his imposing presence, um, and he's he's talking about you know eating up to, to to get back to where he was. But there's a there's a feeling there, isn't there, that he maybe is never going to quite be the the person he was before the uh, before yeah. the poisoning. But it would have yeah. killed, uh, I think, most people. So it's, yeah. it's obviously been seriously damaged. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting how they've almost created two sort of feeding zones for the dragons. So they've got a load of like cattle in the old fighting pits and a load of sheep in the old dragon pit. And um, the dragons seem to be sort of just eating those whenever they feel like it and flying <laughs> off around the city. <laughs> That's amazing. I just love that they've gone, well, what would I want if I'd been locked up underground for a year and <laughs> barely fed anything and now I was free and I could eat anything I wanted? Kebab? <laughs> Kebab. Kebab. That's the way it's going to be. Let's do that. Yeah. And yeah. they just fill the hole in the ground with food. What's going to happen when that when all of those sheep go bad? Is my thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. The um, the, there's a worry that the dragons are probably going to get involved. Um, when if if the peace negotiations fail, there's uh, Barrison says we're going to ride out and we're going to just have a massive. <laughs> Basically, we're going to have a right massive sort out outside these walls. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so, so he's saying, right, we're going to we're going to go on the attack if if the peace negotiations fail. But there's a concern that that will draw the dragons in, and there's no knowing who they'll attack when they turn up in the middle of a battle. Yeah. So that could be that could yeah. be an extra worry. Yeah. Um, there's all this discussion on the small council about if it goes to war. You know, tactics, where to attack, how to use the unsullied. And one that stood out for me was all these people arguing about they want the honour of being the first wave, being the advance party. And I, and I always think yeah. whenever I read this, um, I mean, it's it's realistic. The, the, this was a medieval thing where the lords would want the honour yeah. of, right, of being in the vanguard. And very yeah. famously in, in Game of Thrones, a lot of it, I mean, the great John's a good example, always wants to be in the thick of it. And I always think, it's interesting who's arguing for that because if you're yeah if you're the great john or you're one of these like very very well trained very well armored um sort of soldiers and generals yeah you you want to to sort of get the glory and it's almost like you know i sometimes feel like if you're that well trained and well armored it's almost like being a character in a computer game where you're just going to be killing these faceless people who can't really touch you unless you have you're particularly unlucky or you make an absolute stupid mistake whereas if you're some sort of grunt some sort of spearman you're kind of hoping that your boss doesn't win this argument and you don't have to go yeah 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 totally yeah i want the honor of sending people poorer than i am into battle directly ahead of me but still being ahead of the rest of you yeah doesn't sound as good does it no um but it's i just always think it's a really yeah it's a really it's really funny just to think about who who would actually want to do that and uh, who associated to it would be quite quietly hoping that maybe maybe we could be the reserve you know the guys who charge in once uh, once the battle's almost over and sort of I always think that's the best one to be if you're the reserve force you're basically the guys there who once it's all sort of dying down and there's a, a few gaps you just writhe in and take the glory then 
and yeah, you're the winning yeah. blow. You know, you're, you're yeah. the you're, you're the uh, you're the landing party. You know, like the, anyway, but that, you know, <laughs> yes, I was about, yes. I was about to make some kind of reference to Americans in the Second World War. <laughs> oh, 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 gauntlet clanging on the ground there. Uh, yeah. Thanks yeah. for turning up, though. Thanks, yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks. yeah. We were pretty grateful for that. So, uh, <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, so that's that's sort of that's the scene set for the uh, for, for what's going to happen in Marine. Looks like it's going to be a big battle. Um, in the meantime, Geris and Arch, you know these two guys who were the close friends of Quentin, they're yeah. still alive and they're yeah. in these cells. Yeah. Because obviously they were a part of this plan, which has ended up with dragons loose in the city. Hasn't gone down well, surprisingly. <laughs> the worst plan in a book full of seriously misconceived plans. Yeah. My yeah. word. So Barristan likes uh, the, the big guy, Arch. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. so much like Garrus, but yeah. he, he, he thinks he can use them because they are well-trained knights and he needs yeah. knights because yeah. his guys are still sort of in training, as we saw last time. Yeah. Um, I quite like how he sums Garrus up. As having a, a pretty face, a glib tongue, and a fine head of hair. That's a good <laughs> Standing soon for Parliament, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I like this. I, I quite like this little section because these two characters, who have previously one of them's been Mister Slick, and the other one really hasn't had a character at all. But now they both get these sort of really great little thumbnail sketches of one's a, one's essentially a sort of frat boy wanker, and the other one is you know, actually has a head on his shoulders and sort of understands what's going on and is a little bit savvy, you know. Yeah, yeah. He was basically sent along as the adult in the room, wasn't he, at this party, <sighs> along with the maester who died early on. Can you imagine being the adult in the party on a job where where the actual apparently sensible and well-thought-through point of the entire plan is to travel halfway, more than halfway, across the known world and yeah. put an awkward teenager in front of the most powerful <laughs> woman in the world who has three dragons and say, hello, darling, and then expect her to be into it. <laughs> yeah. That was this the guy, sensible plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is before the whole dragon thing kicked off as well. Yeah. But yeah, Dang. this guy this guy's constantly come across as just sort of silent and grumpy, hasn't he? And yeah. seasick. And yeah. I'm I'm sure, yeah, if if you had to if you had to spend months with these two like teenagers on the, on this quest as a proper adult, you'd be like, Oh, oh, this again. Why me? Why am I being stuck with these guys? So uh, there's definitely a sense of that with him. Um, the the Green Grace is urging Barristan to release his dar to sort of quieten down the city, and uh, Barristan isn't massively keen on that. He, his plan is to quietly send in Garrus and Arch to to try and free Dario and the other hostages who are over in Yunkai. Um, but before that plan's really put into action, the trebuchets. These six hmm. trebuchets that were surrounding the city start firing, and it's obvious that the Yunkai are, are going to try and invade, and yeah. it's time for battle. Yeah, but actually, actually, what they're throwing, the last word is just horrifying, isn't it? Because I think what they're trying is biological warfare. Yeah. It says they're throwing bodies. Yeah, and heads. Heads. No, bodies, isn't it? I think it's both, it just heads. Because I, I, I think the point is that this is the this is the pale horse or whatever it is, the bloody flux. Yeah, and I think what they're man. trying to do is just infect everybody inside the city with this thing that they've all been suffering with outside. And if that works, then it's game over. Which raises for me the possibility that at the start of the next book, Barristan will no longer still be standing. 
and that it will just yeah. be another by the way this happened job because the only person that he needs to get out of that whole story tangled knot is Daenerys and she's already out and she's already out so <laughs> at that point he can just light the world on fire just to watch it burn can't he which is something I think I think George may have something of a yen for oh no Barris well you know, he's, he's survived against the odds before, against the predictions, you know. And <laughs> yeah. he's a long shot again. The odds are lengthening on him, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to cross my fingers and my toes. That he he's staying with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, but- as, as you see, I had one coin to play in that particular game. I played it on Jon Snow because I'm a fool. So <laughs> I'm out, I'm out. I'm not predicting anything now. Yeah, well, you mentioned Daenerys. Let's go to Daenerys, the next chapter. She's, um, she's on a hill with her dragon. Uh, but seriously burned, but alive. Um, and I suppose not seriously injured. She can still walk around and stuff. She's just really badly blistered. Yeah. Um, and she's been hiding out in this cave where Drogon's been for the last... It looks like this is the place where he's been flying off to when he disappeared ages ago. Yeah. Um, she can sort of semi-control him. She's allowed... She can climb on his back and fly around on him. And sometimes he listens to her and goes where he tells her to. And sometimes he to be honest, more often than not, he doesn't. And it's meant that she's been able to sort of fly around the immediate area where he's ended up, but he always goes back to this cave at the end of the night, so she can't fly him back to Marine. Um, yeah. She's kind yeah. of been semi-starving up here, so she's found a, a few sort of plants to eat, and yeah. she eats the sort of charred remains of whatever this this uh, dragon brings back. Um, at least, it, you know, I'd say this for the dragon... Yeah, as opposed to most other animals you'd be stuck with. At least he's cooking the food for her, kind yeah. of. Um, but yeah, so now she thinks, you know, there's only one way I'm going to get back to Marine, and that's walking. So she sets off on foot. What do you think about this? Um, well, I assume she's not going to die, but then again, we are at the end of the book, aren't we? And, and he, <laughs> perhaps he's just got a little bit slap happy, and he's mm. just killing everybody. Yeah. Um, well, th- this this journey, I mean... I actually quite. I thought it was quite well described and quite well realised as she's making it because it's always very. I always think it's, it'd, it'd be very difficult to write these kind of bits where it's just someone walking on their own for ages. Yeah. But he do, he writes it really well. Uh, he does. Matter, so yeah. So. Well, and he does it as well. In order, the reason I don't think she's going to die here, actually, is that he does it. He does it basically as a way of revisiting her entire life to that point. You know, she reflects mm. on her experience and kind of talks about the pain of it and so on. Um. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, so I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty well written actually. Yeah, and she sets off knowing that it's going to be a absolute you know massive challenge to try and get back. She's no idea even how how far she's going to have to go, but she's in relatively good spirits. And then it all sort of declines as she um, goes the next few days trying to trying to walk. Her plan is to follow this stream to fo- to get to the river to follow the river home, which is kind of makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, because um, she knows there's only one main river that runs through this area. Um, so she, yeah, as you say, she, she's walking through this tall grass, and she's she's getting these memories about a story so far, if you like, hoping for yeah. some kind of rescue. Yeah. Um. She rests the first night in this ruined village, like by yeah. this wall. Yeah. Um. She has this dream, and uh oh, uh oh, sound the alarm because Quaith's on the way. Oh, again. for fuck's sake! <laughs> Quaith, the least fulfilling character, honestly. Oh. <laughs> 
Her her appearance here, whilst unwelcome, is mercifully brief. Yeah, but um, it's still influential, isn't it? It's still from the magic cloud in the sky full of Deus Ex Machina, where she's yeah. just like comes down, pops into a dream, says, Walk south. But doesn't even say that, does she? To go north, you must go south. To go <laughs> east, you must go west. To go up, you must go down. To go in, you must go out. Yeah. To be extremely healthy, you must vomit up your insides. It's it's oh Ooh, ooh, it exercises me, Matt. It exercises me. <laughs> that makes two of us. She, <laughs> she, she finishes off with her, what is almost becoming her catchphrase, ooh, remember who you are. And she's like, yeah, I'm Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, got a fairly good handle on that, you know, since I've been raised and told my name every day by people who told me that it's my job to reclaim my family's birthright and so on. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of problems and things I need answering here, but who I am isn't really one of the problems. But thanks, Quaith. See you later. So she buggers off to wherever else she goes, um, back to dreamland, and Daenerys wakes up and she's covered in ants. And this really like made me shudder. She just like, brushes yeah. all these ants off and she's got bites all over her, including yeah. on her head, which is now bald because her yeah. hair was burnt away. And that's just like, oh, that's one of those little things that would just make this it's to make this yeah. from a from an ordeal into a dreadful ordeal it's sometimes it's the little details isn't it yeah which do that yeah yeah mm. yeah yeah I, oh, oh horrible i mean and obviously like the the thing with the losing all of her hair and um uh and you know being completely stripped back to to absolute nothingness um this is obviously a second kind of rebirth moment um, yeah. Like at the is it the end of it's the end of Game of Thrones, isn't it? Um, yeah. The the Miriam door uh, bollocks gets pulled, and she ends up she ends up kind of emerging from the flames, like burned to a crisp, but alive, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now uh, she gets a couple of other visits from sort of people in her mind. Uh, one of them is uh, Viserys. I said, you know what? I, I, it's either people in. I mean, considering the sort of context of the book as a whole, um, it's either people in her minds here, or with viscerous. It could even be like a spirit or something, couldn't it? Because it's so viscerous. <laughs> this guy yeah. turns up. Yeah, actually, I was like, "Oh, we're back with you, are we?" Yes. Yeah. How I have missed you. But it was. It was. It was like she either she's clearly having a remarkably vivid remembrance of this character, or even in death, he is a twat. Yeah, <laughs> they're believable, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so he sort of moans a bit about how, you know, it should have been me and I should have run this army and it's not fair that they wouldn't obey me and poured a load of molten gold over my head. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> basically his, <laughs> basically his Yeah, well, yeah, and he goes, he even goes into that sort of, that um, that petulant, you know, you don't want to wake the dragon nonsense. And if yeah. I was here, I'd be laughing in his face. I'd be like, wake the dragon? The dragon doesn't like molten gold or something. Wake the dragon. I think the dragon's been melted away, hasn't he? <laughs> um, she also gets a visit from Sejora, and this is a, very much just in her mind. Um, and he he's saying, you know, you stayed too long in the wrong place and you should have gone back to Westeros and all this. There's a lot of um, what they say in America, what they call in America, <clears throat> mon- uh, Monday morning quarterbacking going on here, isn't there? Sort of benefit <laughs> yeah, of hindsight. Uh, yeah. Backseat driving. Um so she's, I mean, it's, to be honest, it's just giving voice to all her sort of regrets, isn't it, this? Yeah. Um, uh, physically, she 
she gets, uh, I mean, she's in such a bad way by the end of this. She eats some green berries that she vaguely remembers were part of cooking when she was part of the Dothraki. Gets really ill from those. Yeah. Um, ends up actually bleeding from between her legs and she thinks it's, she's t- kind of thinking maybe it's her period, but it's the wrong time yeah. and it's never been this heavy. There's all sorts of stuff going on here with her body, which suggests she might be dying, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. the impression I got anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, this stuff, the stuff with like the, the blood is all wrapped up around the, the stuff from Quaith and the, the thoughts about how she yeah. was, you know, she can't have children anymore and all this. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, um, I mean, it's, it's hard <laughs> it's for her. It's a t- tough world to be in when you're a woman as well, isn't it? In I this, mean, uh, well, I mean, absolutely, context. yeah. And it's it was definitely, like, obviously, I think George is fantastic at putting you kind of... Uh, inside the experience of like how horrifying this must be and but her also a kind of quite muzzy headed confusion about why it's happening as well because she's so sick and she's so ill it's not like it's kind of like she's describing in perfect terms it just uses uses language perfectly to describe you know this kind of awful experience um Mm. uh but also i will admit at this point i was like he's not going to kill her as well is he he's not gonna (laughs) Surely not, George. Surely yeah. to God, you're not about to kill Daenerys. <laughs> you know? he, does ju- he does just enough, doesn't he, where you think genuinely this could be it. Yeah. This really could be it. Yeah. Um, and then she has this running with um, a, a scout from a Kalasar, so one of these Dothraki guys, and she's still sort of with it enough to know that if he finds her on his own, looking so weak, she's going to either get killed or raped or both. Um, or at the very best, dragged back to, you know, as a slave yeah. or something. Yeah. But she she's aware that there's a, there must be a Kalasar nearby. So she call, manages to call down Drogo, uh, Drogon, the dragon. Yeah. And she basically just makes an entrance. She <laughs> turns up, lands in the middle of these horses, the dragon eats one of them. And then she, <laughs> she, she's, sort of, she's, she's sort of sitting eating roasted horse. Um, alongside her dragon when the Kalasar turn up. And you're thinking, even in her, you know, really death's door state, she manages to do basically a political masterstroke here in making yeah. the most amazing entrance. She, she's a queen, isn't she? She knows how yeah. to do it. Yeah. So there you go. That And that's where that's where Daenerys' story ends for now. Um, and we're left with a bit of a... To be honest... It's kind of in parallel with the series, that isn't it? We end with Daenerys in the middle of a colossal, although she doesn't do the big entrance. Yeah, um, she just gets captured. But yeah, yeah. we're in the yeah. so so. There's a quite a nice confluence there where the series and book have come together, um, just in time for the new one. Um, yeah, and then, uh oh, epilogue. Oh, who's for it now? <laughs> yeah, so. Judging on past form from Epilogue, as soon as um, Sir Kevin Lannister showed up here, did you think he's got a chapter to live? Um, strangely enough, because I don't really care a lot about Sir Dennis Lannister, as nice as it is, you know. Sir, like, Ke- Sir Kevin. Kevin, yeah, you really, Sir you really don't. Yeah. Fucking hell. These characters, Matt. Actually, before we get onto this, after the end of this, I went flicking through the uh, the cast list for a while. I'm like... I just can't believe how many characters there are in this pissing book. <laughs> I'd, I'd love it if you'd done the eulogy. So Dennis Lannister <laughs> was a great man. <clears throat> Kevin. Sorry, Kevin. So <laughs> was Ke- a great well, man. <laughs> obviously, that's embarrassing, but I think we can all agree his family are a shower of bastards, so... 
<laughs> yeah, so so we're in the head of Sig Kevin anyway, and um, there's this discussion about there's a, there's this knight in front of him who's um, it's called was it called Ronit Connington? He's basically the the guy who has taken over from John Connington when John Connington left. You know, the, the guy who's come back and is now yeah. causing merry havoc across um, the southern part of Westeros. Um, yeah, so he wants to go and take take back Griffin's Roost um, from John Connington. Yeah. Uh, Cersei is still awaiting a trial. I, this is something that didn't massively register with me when I was reading it earlier on. But even though she's done this walk of punishment, she still has to have a trial by combat where if yeah. if Sir, Rob, Sir Robert Strong is killed, she will be executed. Yeah. So she's, she's not out of the woods. I was, pretty, I was pretty surprised by that, I have to say. I was like, well, hang on. I thought the whole point was that she was getting off lightly, but not lightly, and that it was going to... Oh, no, okay, you still want to kill her because... Misogyny. Okay, great, fine. Carry on. Yeah. So he's got all kinds of problems to deal with, Kevin Lannister. He's the sort of regent at the moment. And he is... I mean, he's got to deal with the fact that this John Connington and, you know, as we know, Aegon, this uh, the, the sort of returned prince, are starting to make these big territorial gains and they're, they're starting to march on Storm's End to, to really make a statement. He's also got... Obviously, the issues around the Septons and the fact that Cersei and Marjorie Tyrell are still very, very in very, very deep trouble and could end up being even executed. He's got the issues around uh, the uh, Iron Bank, which they you know they owe a load of money and now <laughs> the bank has pulled the loans away. Thanks a lot, Cersei. So that's another problem. Yeah, um, it's just one thing after another, isn't it? And then you've, obviously you've got Stannis up north as well, and. Um, I've also I've put another problem here. I've just abbreviated it as D. I can't really work out what that is though. D. Uh, yeah. Hang on. Oh, it's Daenerys. Yeah. He's thinking. He says here that we need to get rid of John Connington and his army because the, these sort of stories about Daenerys and her dragons are finally being believed here now. So he's thinking yeah. sooner or later she's going to turn up as well. So we need to get rid of. Yeah. This other this other threat first. So yeah. it's problem after problem. And beyond that, he's got his small council and a lot of them are either dangerous or useless. So he yeah. thinks that Randall Tarley is dangerous because he's yeah. um he knows what he's doing and he's got his own interests at heart. And Grandmaster Pycel pretty much useless. He, he, at one point in this, he starts saying, uh, Pycel says something like, I remember last time John Connington was here and... Uh, Kevin Lannister thinks, you know what, this is a problem with like really old people. They just have a memory about everything. <laughs> That's yeah, all they talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, I think you just, there's a lot in this chapter, isn't there, that just sums up Grandmaster Meister Paisal, uh, as he has been for a while now, is yeah. just he's just seen as a bit of an irrelevance. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting that compared to what a kind of a mover and shaker he was at the start of uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, did, yeah. I, I would tell you this, though. I did quite like how basically what... Um, Dennis, I'm just calling him Dennis from now on. Fuck it. <laughs> Dennis, yeah. Uh, Dennis. Um, Dennis, the not slightly menacing. Um, uh, what he says about Grandmaster Pycelle is basically describing Uncle Albert from um, from Only Fools and Horses. You know, he's always, because his catchphrase was during the war, and he just yeah. always talked about what happened during the war, even though it was sort of 40 years later. Um, yeah. It's that, isn't it? It's just like, oh, he won't stop going on about the bloody war. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, with, you know, you know, Slightly nicer surroundings, I suppose. Yeah. And then uh, to cap it all off, Mace Tyrell. 
who's now the king's hand, has been given that honour. Uh, he is <laughs> obviously back from his failed attempt to take Storm's End, talking big about how he's going to take it back. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you can imagine it on a graph, can't you? Game talked, big. <laughs> yeah. Game played, small. <laughs> I love the fact that um, he's got this, uh, as soon as he was made hand of the king, he's had this ridiculous, like, chair built in the sort of in the shape of a hand for him to sit on it just makes me think of that one in Arrested Development that red hand that Buster has (laughs) oh I never thought I could miss a hand so much (laughs) yeah so there's that I mean the the whole chapter is constructed to give um, credence to what Varys says towards the end of that in a sea of like uncertainty and useless people uh, Sir Kevin Lannister is is somehow holding it all together. He comes across here yeah. as a bit of a genius, doesn't he? And he's sort he of does, finally he? stepping out of his of his brother's shadow and becoming the sort of the the genius that he could be. Yeah, um, yeah, very much. So he's uh, he's setting to work here. Yeah. The, the the this trial of Cersei with Robert Strong, it's kind of implied here that Sir Kevin and the more with it members of the Small Council. Are kind of aware without saying anything of of what this guy is or yeah. this thing is. So it's basically, you know, someone back from the dead, someone really big who Kyburn yeah. may have been messing around with. Try your own conclusions. Yeah. But yeah. um, there's the, and there's all these stories coming back from the uh, <laughs> from the King's Guard saying that he never eats and no one's ever seen him go to the toilet. Um, which is weird because <laughs> we live with him twenty four hours a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's not quite as on the nose as I mean it's close, but not quite as obvious as the the series where he's basically a zombie in a mask. <laughs> yeah, this kind of like yeah, although blue face, yeah, zombie type five. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I thought I thought this was actually really interesting because I was because I'd been thinking about um, the the fact that now everybody at the wall acknowledges the White Walkers are a thing, um, where previously they were a fairy tale. Here, mm. people are much quicker to go with some supernatural shits going down here. Yeah, um, where previously it has been very very much. Um, well, you know, I don't believe in any of that sort of nonsense. You know. Um, so it's kind of weird that, you know, you present... I mean, I suppose the mountain was so absurdly oversized that, yeah. you know, it's just like, well, okay, he recently died, Kyburn has a reputation as a necromancer, and now somebody <laughs> his size is back, you know. Yeah. But maybe maybe this is what it takes to get people in King's Landing a lot on board with the idea that the White Walkers are real. Yeah, I've got to admit, they are remarkably relaxed about this, aren't they? Yeah! I think... You know, some things come back from the dead and he's wearing armour in, uh, you know, close to the king. You think somebody um, of these limited number of people who see what's going on would say, we've got to kill this thing because it's a fucking monster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, you know, and he nearly died once. How hard could it be to kill him again? Yeah. And like you say, this is in a world where, as far as the people in King's Landing are concerned... This is about as likely to happen as as it is in our world, you know. So yeah. you'd think there'd be a bit more of a shock, and yeah. like, oh god, what are we going to do about it? This can't happen. Yeah, yeah everyone seems to have taken this this return of of what we assume is the mountain quite um, 
<laughs> just just in the stride, like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Z- zombie, is it? All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Oh, back from back an, an eldritch creature, revenant from the beyond. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe they're just <laughs> really desperate for Kingsguard, because as, uh, as Kevin Lannister says, they're down to three in King's Landing now. You've basically got Robert Strong, this zombie, Merrin Trance, who, let's be honest, has never really covered himself in glory, and Boros effing bloat who's the <laughs> who's, who's famous in the king's guard i think for being the only guy more rubbish than Merrin trant so yeah you know the the, the royal the royal taster as he's a <laughs> the royal taster join yeah. the king's guard taste food fight almost nobody i mean i suppose for somebody like boris blount you know you know makes as much sense as anything doesn't it yeah he's looking it's on his last cure. legs he's looking on his last legs apparently because when he gets the the sort of the chambers where Tom and Cersei is, Boris yeah. is there, not looking so, so healthy. Does that mean people have been poisoning the king's food, and that <laughs> Boris has been taking it out? Well, well, yeah, but I think Boris tastes it and then gives the rest to the king. So, all oh, right, so he's so he's just you know his his years of fast living are catching up with him. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a bit like Brent. Live fast, die young. No, live fast, die old. That's, uh, that's what I say. <laughs> but um, so so yeah, he's off to visit Cersei and Tommen, um, Sir Kevin. He's planning to send Cersei to Clasterly Rock. Basically, he says, you know, he knows now, and he's probably right. Surely, her um, her career as a politician in King's Landing is over after what happened with her walk through the through the city. Yeah, um, you know, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. Um, so he goes in, sit down with with these two. There's also an interesting echo there, which um, we've probably kind of heard about before, but it's a bit made a bit more clear here about what happened to um, Sir Kevin and Tywin's stepdads, or stepmum, yeah. and what happened to Cersei. So yeah. basically, very briefly, if you don't already know the, um, so Tywin's dad, who was a bit of a pushover, ended up taking this mistress after his wife died. She ended up basically running Casterly Rock. When Tywin's dad died, Tywin had her basically paraded through the streets naked uh, and kicked her out. And obviously, yeah, a clear parallel with what's eventually happened to Tywin's daughter as well. Um, mm. Now, the uh, it looks like... I mean, what did you make of Cersei here? Because she seems very, like, cowed and... You know, she's she's basically just spending her entire time either with her son or praying or in the bath trying to scrub herself clean. You mm. feel that, you know, there may still be some of the old Cersei there, but this, as you would expect, this experience has really almost broken her. Yeah. I mean, so it would seem, although, you know, Cersei's a coiled viper. Like, you know, like there's no way. If, she's, if she puts her mind to act crazy and or permanently cowed this mm. is exactly what she would do so you don't really know uh, but of course she's a character we don't like very much so that she's going to be around for fucking ever yeah. <laughs> yeah um you know but you know it's definitely an interesting thing to see yeah because she i mean when she got back to the castle last time she was sort of in her head thinking you know i'm going to kill them all so she's still got that fight in it but i think the interesting thing now is that like old cersei she was so yeah. proud that yeah. she would never give the impression of her being anything other than really strong and dangerous. Yeah. And now I just wonder whether this is, in a way, almost made her a bit stronger insofar as she can now give the impression of being weak, but yeah. at the same time think about how she can, you know, she's still got this venom inside her. 
Yeah. And how yeah, very, very much. That, that makes her, in a way, almost even more dangerous, I would say. Yes, uh, that's a very, very good point. Um, but it's not as if she was bad at deceiving people before. It's just that she was powerful enough not to have to bother. Yeah, so, yeah, you true. Know, I kind of so, got the impression that she, she never wanted... To, she, she, she ne- she'd never allow herself to either. She Any of her sort of plans, n- none of them would involve her looking weak. Although I suppose when she was sort of like asking these kettle black idiots to do stuff for her, she gave the impression that she was a... Yeah. Oh, I'm just a woman I'm in just a poor, you, weak you know? woman, and if you yeah. believe that... Yeah. But, but um, no. I mean, I think that's a, that's a solid point, actually. Um, mm. You know, she she never went to weakness before, but now she's got nowhere else to go. I don't think her nature is a fundamentally manipulative, you know, sociopath. Basically, I don't think that's changed. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't think that a negative emotional experience is likely to be a healing one for somebody who was already a sociopath. So yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, we'll we, we will see. We will see. So uh, dinner's interrupted when Pycelle says, I need a word with you. He says, sends a message, come to my chambers at once. So Sir Kevin heads over there. Uh, he goes to Pycelle's chambers. There's uh, a white raven on the windowsill, which is basically means that you know the, 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 the wise masters over at, the, at Old Town have mm. sent these white ravens out to basically say, winter's really here. I mean... We should have this, known is, that this is winter. Yeah, I mean, another clue, um, which we should have mentioned at the start here, it's actually been snowing in King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, maybe this is a very sort of, maybe this is a very English thing to say. But for me, if it's snowing, then it's winter. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, it's re- if, it's, if there's drifts of snow around the place, if, if water is freezing, then chances are winter has already started. You don't, yeah. you don't, you know, if things are freezing, you don't look at them and go, well, this is a remarkably harsh late autumn. You're like, no, you know, <laughs> well, winter, and also, winter has begun. Yeah, and also, I mean, this has been made really clear. Um, you get a bit of help from the series with this, but King's Landing is, is basically Mediterranean country. The, yeah. When they've been filming King's Landing, they've yeah. basically gone to Malta and Croatia. You know, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really hot. So yeah. that, that really sort of struck me as thinking, God, there's snow there. Then just what you know, it puts into context when they've been talking about these massive drifts of snow up in the north. Yeah, yeah it's uh, I'm I'm amazed that anyone's still alive up at the wall, considering it's got that cold now. But um, yeah, but yeah, that was I thought that was just the fact that snow has appeared in King's Landing was a really good device to to make you realise just how cold and how wintry it's all getting now ahead of the next book, obviously. Yeah, um, but yeah, so he sees this white raven, and then he feels. He's basically shot with an arrow, and suddenly he realizes that someone's someone's going to kill him. He turns around <laughs> to see Pycel, and Pycel's dead at his desk. It's classic. This it's bum, like, bum, bum. It, it, it's it's a classic um, scene. This isn't it from from loads of films where the um, you come to meet somebody, you see them sitting there, and suddenly you realize too late that they're actually dead, and then you're going to die too. Yeah. Um, and it's Varys who's shot Kissa Kevin. Yeah. And he does he does a very sort of move slickly into the, the classic Bond villain and this is why you must die speech. But- he does he monologues. <laughs> he actually monologues. I thought George Martin was above this sort of thing, but no, he goes straight into Ah welcome, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Although Varys has done what all those Bond villains 
unbelievably don't do, which is he has actually killed him first as well. That's that's true. He kills him <laughs> and then monologues, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he does, as we said earlier on, he he gives this, look, it's nothing personal, but you're um, actually But you're a disaster. Winning. Well, well, no, you're a disaster for me because you're yes, actually yeah, yeah. so successful. Um, yeah. And he, he says you're a... You know, you're one of those good men in service to a bad cause. Um, Which is pretty fucking rich for Varys to crack out. How many <laughs> different sides has he worked for, including this one? <laughs> I've always thought Varys has pretty much been one side, though, which has been Targaryen, bring back the Targaryens. Yeah, but if you, if, but remember, he was like a senior governor of the land for 20-some yeah. years under Robert. And if he, was, if he was known then as being Mr. Targaryen, he wouldn't have survived the week. Yeah, but I think he he was known as something else. But I think his, his core motivation has always been that, and everything every other sort of face he's worn has been yeah. in service. So he's been remarkably, yeah, disloyal to all these different people. But it's always yeah. towards one goal, which has been this. He's never sort of changed sides in in his sort of long term vision, has he? Which has been get a Targaryen on the throne. That's true, although. It's hard to argue that getting a Targaryen back on the throne isn't a being a man in service to a bad thing. Because, I mean, the last Targaryen that was on the throne roasted people in their armour. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's fairly hard to... It's, it's, it is a little bit rich. It is like somebody, it is like somebody from Stalin's Russia travelling to Hitler's Germany and going, well, I mean, I mean, you're in service to evil here. I mean, I just, I've just i got to be perfectly honest here. You may be a good man, but you're in service. So are you! <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he makes a case for Aegon, saying, you know, this this guy who's Aegon who's coming back, he's been um, we've raised him since he was a little little boy, and all these different things. We've tr- he seems to have he he seems to be saying, you know, this guy's our best shot for like a, a good leader because we've been working on him since he was a tiny child and giving him all these different instructions and his experiences. They try. He's almost. It feels like Varys has tried to almost lab creates the perfect leader. Yeah, except Whether he hasn't, he's right though, has he? Because he's, cause we, we saw him last time and he wasn't so much the perfect leader as he was a boil-in-the-bag frat boy George Bush <laughs> type. Like, uh, that's not a good leader. That's just somebody who strides around the place believing the world belongs to him, which is not the same thing at all. Yeah, do you feel he's, he's maybe of a, he's maybe picked the wrong Targaryen? Do you th- yeah. Do, do, right, let's quick, quick question. We're coming to the end of this now, but... Do you yeah. think Daenerys is the perfect leader for Westeros? Um, I think she's got good principles. How long they'd last in the you know spider bag that is um, is King's Landing, I don't know. But I think she's got good principles, which is rare in leaders in in um, in Westeros. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to see her have a crack at it, um, but. You know, I mean, but who can say, you know, she didn't deal terribly well with the situation in Marine, did she? she I mean, mm. it, it's not clear to me that it's much simpler, the situation in King's Landing. Yeah. Which, just realised, there we go, thanks George, that's the whole point of the entire Marine situation, is to give her experience in a completely intractable political situation with lots of different um, uh, vying armies and power groups. Yeah, it's like you said before, it's the tutorial part yeah. of the game. <laughs> it's the tutorial. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the good people of Marine would be delighted to refer to as that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe that's something we can discuss next week, actually, as part of our big sort of wrap-up. Um, something to think about. What is best-case scenario for the end of this? What do we want to see happen to Westeros? 
Mm. Um, and that would be quite well, interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely looking forward to doing that next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so this ends with Varys saying, you look, Aegon's our guy. He's ready now, so you're going to have to make way because you're doing too good a job of causing, of sort of, you know, making problems. And something that, <laughs> I know why George Martin does this because it's a really interesting like device and it's a creepy image. It's a fantastic, like, um, horrific, creepy image. But considering Varys says, look, it's not personal, I'm sorry that I have to do this, um, you'd think it'd be like crossbow bolt to the head, finish him off mercifully. But yeah. he sort of clicks his fingers and all these kids turn up with daggers to stop what him the sh- to death. What is this? <laughs> what is going on here? Is is this Matt? Could it be that one of the that these are some children that are being run by the faceless god? And oh, that's an interesting idea. If so, could one of them be Arya? Could she be back on the same fucking continent? Oh, no, that is an interesting idea. I mean, I I assume these were just a few of Varys's little birds, and it's just this final um, like point made by the author to say you know, this is where the real power is or something like that. But I like yeah. that idea. I like the fact that he is, yeah, so Varys is in, in deep with the faceless men and this is Arya and a few of the other, and a few of sort of other people connected to this wider group. No evidence for it, but I, I like it as a theory, yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, 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 well. That rounds off the book and <gasps> it's quite... Quite a nice way, because we just ended on a theory. This is what we're going to be talking about next week. It's um, no holds barred, all bets are off, all spoiler warnings are out of the window. We're just going to talk through... We're going to try and get hold of whatever preview chapters have been made for for Winds of Winter and read those. We're going to hunt down some of our favourite... Some of my favourite theories from around the internet and talk through those. Yeah. And anything else that we want to discuss about A Song of Ice and Fire ahead of... I think, actually, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of publishing here. So um, yeah. so, so, so this should, should give you a, a feel for um, where we're up to story so far, just in time to get into that, you know, the, the, the real meat of, of Series 6 on, on the telly, if you watch that. So, yeah, so it's going to be a big discussion, this podcast. It's going to be around theories about things that are happening in the book, things that could happen... In the next book, um, we're, as we say, we're going to have a bit of a chat about what we think would be the ideal scenario, which way we think the book's going to go as a whole, and uh, what would be best for Westeros. Uh, and also, any sort of thoughts in general. Basically, this is the one where the spoiler gloves are off. Don't listen to it if you're worried about getting spoiled for future books. <laughs> we're just going to go all out and see what we can mine and track down and come up with for future predictions. There we go. If you have any of the theories that you particularly like, send them to sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Dave, keep your, keep your nose out of that. We're going to just talk oh, about this. Oh, don't do that. To, I've just finished the book. You're telling me I'm not allowed to go. Oh. You know what? You know what? For, for the listeners, Matt, for the watch, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. So, yeah, so get, get your own thoughts, theories, and all that stuff into us at sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. And next week, we will unlock and open the door to Matt's bunker full of spoilers, which, to be honest, is a greater climax than any that we've read in the book so far. Oh, he's gone to your head, hasn't it? Deary me, send help. 
Send help. He's gone full Cersei on me. Well, um, also, actually, uh, so that's all our Game of Thrones stuff rounded off for now. Um, one other thing to say is we do have had a bit of feedback um, about something we ca- we pointed out. It was a couple of weeks ago now, um, but because of the way we've recorded these, this is our first chance to talk about it. Um, Max from Florida has got in touch, and this is this is about something. It's a bit of an aside that we talked about last week, which was these Dave the castrating pigs chat. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I, I do remember that. Um, do, do, do you want to just sort of remind us about that? For well, who so, I, I, I mean, I can't even remember. It was it was a flight of fancy. Um, but what it was basically was talking about um, a story I had heard um, from a member of my family about um, uh, hearing about, like, how in certain parts of Florida um, they deal with wild boars. Um, so um, as I was telling that story, uh, my wife, the family member in question, was in the room listening to me tell this story of hers and apparently, and no pun intended, absolutely butchering it and getting all the details completely wrong on every conceivable level. Now, so I'm a bit nervous now because it, am I right in thinking that Max is from Florida? Yes, so I've been besmirching the good name of his of his state. <laughs> I've I've managed to diss both <laughs> both our most faithful correspondent and my wife by well, going off for a bit of a giggle. Um, so w- what does he have to say about it? So okay, he actually kind of agrees with you insofar as you know this this kind of thing does happen. They do sort of have a, have an issue with uh, massive pigs or wild pigs. He says actually Florida is an interesting place because it's uh, one of the few parts of the world where people casually live alongside apex predators. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's actually sent a... Like members a, of the Bush family, for example. Oh, zing. So he's, actually, he's actually sent a picture from what I assume is his back garden um, of a pond um, sort of just down the road from his house with an alligator mm. just sort of sitting in it. Just <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, yeah. oh, it's so this a, is a different kind of, this type is, yeah. of hardiness required, isn't it? Yeah, so this is the kind of place we're talking about. But he says, yeah, there is an issue with wild pigs. Um, they go and um, he says they'll come into your yard and root up all the grass and landscape in a really dramatic way. He says he's never heard of anyone. This is where your part falls down a bit, Dave. He's never heard of anyone hunting them to castrate them and then release them back into the wild. And he says if you're going to go through the trouble, you may as well get some bacon and pork chops out of it. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I've had a, I've got a few stories about getting a you know getting pig for tea they basically just i go to the butchers and if i'm fe- if i'm feeling particularly <laughs> if i'm feeling particularly sort of rural and down with nature i might go to my local farm shop but uh, beyond <laughs> that that's my entire experience of where my food comes from Whoa. amazing any other yeah. pig related stories that anyone else wants to send in you're more than welcome to get them into shortly royal podcast <laughs> At gmail.com. I think that one's up there with the email from uh, Muammar Gaddafi's daughter. (laughs) 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 We love it, Max. Thanks very much. That was amazing. Yeah, cheers. Um, Do keep in touch. Let us know any theories that you have. As we say, shortlyrollpodcast at gmail.com is the uh, email to send all that stuff to. Well, on that bombshell, as a a famous talk show host once said, um, we will leave it there. Dave, till next week. You're looking forward to the uh, the grand finale. I am. I'm pretty pissed that you've locked me out of Matt's bunker full of spoilers for another couple of weeks. I'm like, what's long. going on there? Not for long. Just those another, seven another days week. to wait. Another week. <laughs> okay, till next time. Until next time, Matt. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.